So I had a, an experience recently that taught me a lot about marriage. Um, my husband, George, is obsessed with Hamilton the musical. And um, I understand this kind of obsession because, you know, marriage is about understanding, right? So the problem with Hamilton is that you can't just go to Hamilton. You know, it's Hamilton. Like, it's sold out forever. And we were in New York over Christmas time. And it was the Friday before Christmas. And lo and behold, there were four tickets. So lightning fast, George whips out his bank card. He's buying the tickets. Um, but there's more problems than that. You have to have your paper ticket when you get there. You cannot just show them your phone. And we don't have a printer in Brooklyn. And because marriage is also about teamwork, I spring into action. And I go on the net and I find that there's the Richard Rogers Theater, 46. That's where Hamilton is. At 48th, there's a Staples. So we fly out the door, we get out of 50th and 8th, I run into the sandwich shop, George goes two blocks to the Staples, I pick up George, he's just printed the tickets, we go to 46th Street, and just as we got to the front, they opened the doors down the block to Hamilton. We scanned in, we were in the lobby, and then we had to divide and conquer. So George went to the merch booth to hopefully not buy out the entire Hamilton <laughs> merch booth. And because marriage is about familiarity, I know what I have to get him at the concession stand. So I run over to the concession stand, I get him a large peanut M&Ms and a red wine, and we meet again in the center, and we go up to the mezzanine, and we get in our seats, and the lights come down, and Aaron Burr comes out onto the stage, and all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed with tears of joy. Not because I am seeing Hamilton, but because George is seeing Hamilton. And the final thing that I realized is that marriage is about being happier when the person you love is happy than when you are happy yourself. Thank you. Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new-fashioned way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard with a very, very hoarse voice performing a story about love and marriage and, of course, Hamilton the Musical. And I'm a freak in love, a freak in love with you. Today, you'll meet my inspirational friend, Julie. I nicknamed her that because she'll just nonchalantly suggest something that then goes on to change my life completely. And Julie's life changed completely when she found her love, her family, and her home where she swore she'd never look. I'm in love with you. Yeah. So he said, I want to go to L.A. And I said, uh, yeah, no, I will not live in L.A. I don't drive, really. And no, I'm not going. And what were you doing at that point? Um, <laughs> I had been an actor in New York. Oh, and you didn't want to go to L.A.? No. Yeah. No. Because that's where the fake acting is. Yeah, not the theater actors. <laughs> yes, spoiler alert, we're sitting in Julie's kitchen in L.A. right now. <laughs> where I've lived Ray. longer than yes. I've lived anywhere, anywhere, ever. So, hi, Julie. Hi. I'm so happy to be talking with you today. I know the overview of your experience, and you have been such a good help for me as I've been going through my whole experience. I like to call you my inspirational friend, Julie. <laughs> Every time I see you, something fabulous happens later. Um, the whole reason I took my show to the Edinburgh Festival was because you Aww. suggested that I create it and so many other wonderful things. So you are a writer. Yes. <laughs> and Stephen, your husband, mm -hmm. what does he do? Uh, he's an art director. 
for film and TV. For film and TV. And so when did you guys get together? Uh, so I met Stephen in 1994 at a wedding. You know, Where was I, the wedding? Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh. He was the best man and I was the maid of honor. Oh my God, that's a great story. And my uh, friend who was getting married... It was a setup. You know, she said, I have this guy. I want you to meet him. You know, so they had this big plan for us to get together. Did, is that why they chose you as the best man? No, in the I, hope not. <laughs> I hope that's is not that the why reason. they got married in the first place. Maybe so they could it could have been just you? that. Yeah. Which no. is like the most elaborate blind date ever. Right, exactly. Yeah. Just very expensive <laughs> blind date. And then when did you get married? So we got married in 1999. Okay. And then where in all of this journey had you started to think about having kids? Had you always thought about having kids? Where? Um, where yeah. were the kids in your brain at this point? It's, well, I, I had been thinking about it. And then when we got married, I was like, oh, okay. Now we stopped using birth control when we got married. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like right away. Yeah. yeah. And like, how old were you then? So I was 32 when right. I tried it. Yeah. Wow. Start. Okay. Oh, you were young. Yeah. Okay. And what prompted you to think we need to up the ante on this? I was ready to have a kid. You yeah. Know, and it was taking what seemed to be a long time. Yeah. 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 And it seemed to me that was the greatest expression of love between a couple was creating a child together, raising a child together. Yeah. So it was kind of pressing <laughs> for sure. And how did you, I mean, I know this is so long ago, we won't talk about this the yeah. whole time, but how, do you remember how you felt about the idea of needing help with your fertility? Was it? I was convinced it wasn't going to be an issue, that it was just a matter of time. Yeah. I, but yeah, I, mean, I didn't honestly, think it would be. in so many ways, you were doing everything textbook like you right. met someone at the right age you fell in love you know you got married you bought a house you had your dogs like you were doing everything the way you're supposed to do I'm making air quotes with right because a lot of there's I I feel like with infertility there's a lot of blame that goes mm -hmm. around I don't think it's intentionally blame but I think everybody wants to find a reason why it's happening mm -hmm. and sometimes it's oh well she waited too long or oh well she didn't prioritize or oh you're right, not her big treating career. your body well right. or <laughs> yeah. you're you're you want it too much and that's why it's not happening you need to relax or right. yeah and I think so far in your story you literally did every single thing exactly the way you should do it according to whatever this invisible majority is that's right. decided and, that and how old you should be and how old that. you right. should be i wasn't and too old and... everything yeah. yeah did you guys have health insurance at the time uh we did and it was not covered okay. none of it was covered. not even the visit nothing none of it yeah. and we <laughs> you know <laughs> we're both freelancers now and you know we're doing better than we were then but uh, it was um, cost prohibitive. Yeah. So we were borrowing money from my parents. We were using credit cards. Yeah. Well, and also you you hope you only have to do it once. Right. And you can sort of swallow that. Like when we first started, I remember the day we had the meeting with the billing person. The minute she started talking, I just burst into tears. I mean, it and it well, wasn't even so much. It's money. so much money. But what, <laughs> yeah. So what was your overall IVF experience? Did you do several rounds? Um, so I think we did an IUI or maybe a couple IUIs. Fair and much. then we did, um, I'd say two. I can't remember if it was on the third one. We, we had one pregnancy that made it to eight weeks. Wow. I think it was eight weeks. And then we went in one day for a checkup and um, there was no heartbeat. Oh. That was bad. That was How really were bad. your numbers during those eight weeks? Were they um, moving along the way they should? Or, or was there any reason to were. think they were? Yeah, they it was were. a total shock. Oh. Yeah, we didn't know until the, the appointment. Oh, my gosh. And then I think we started a final IVF 
and we were going in for something and I was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember saying to the doctor, look, I can't do that right now because I'm in the middle of an IVF. And he's like, oh, you're going to have to cancel that because you have thyroid cancer. Wow. Um, I mean, and that's a kind of a longer story about how they found that out. But um, that's when it, you know, stopped the IVF. And that was like a definitive end to the process at that point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And then I became convinced that the the IVFs and the drugs and the hormones uh, gave me cancer. Yeah. So I was very reluctant to use any more hormones. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to grow things in my body that aren't already there. And obviously I've instead grown cancer. So how, <laughs> and how did like, you feel about that? I mean, were, um, I'm were like, you well, angry? It serves me right. Yeah. I can't believe, you know, I've, of course you're, I'm putting all this unnatural stuff into my mm. body. Of course now I'm sick. Yeah. Um, so you really blamed yourself for it? I felt like I had done it to myself. And then they're like, oh, well, you can get thyroid cancer from too many uh, dental x-rays when you were a kid. Maybe that's why you got it. Or did you grow up next to a power plant? Or, you know, there, if there are no, Same thing. no it's like everyone needs to, a reason right, yeah. to why you could have gotten it. So, right. But it did, the timing of it, you know, just injecting that amount of hormones and stimulation drugs and all that, the timing of it seemed odd to me. Yeah. But yeah, the the baby stuff at that point, it was kind of like, ugh, I, that's not even, yeah, I'm not even thinking about that right now. Right. Yeah. So w- once I kind of recovered from that, you know, it was still in my mind, obviously. I still wanted to have a family. Um, Did you and Stephen have like a little sit down where you're like, okay, we begin again, or this is what um, we want, or? I think we agreed no more fertility stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I started in on the, I think we should adopt scenario mm-hmm. you know and he was very reluctant didn't oh really like, yeah i didn't like the idea at all oh well, why not part of it was his relatives uh fled the war in europe and he's the last male he, he I, I think that was you know a, a little part of it it's was, probably more than a little well, part you i know, would think they managed to survive nazi germany and we can't create we can't the next the generation going. yeah really but i did i convinced him to go to a seminar adopting after infertility and he walked in the room and literally we we looked around and every woman in the room was weeping during this first opening statements yeah and it truly was a depressing bleak building and women weeping and i was weeping oh gosh everyone had been through the ringer you know yeah because it wasn't like adoption for everyone who's ever been interested it was adoption after infertility so everyone had tried something obviously that didn't work yeah um so that was and instead of being comforting it was depressing it just everything yeah it was like i could see the intent like the person writing up the title of the seminar i could see them thinking this will be a safe place for people to right and instead everyone sees their worst fears mirrored back at them when they walk in the room and it just seemed like everyone was wearing beige clothing and (laughs) everyone was just gray pallor in their skin and just it, circles you know, under it, their eyes yeah, it just, yeah. It, the image of it in my mind right now is just so it was bleak yeah it was bleak like the waiting room in beetlejuice when you walk in <laughs> yeah and everyone's got it shrunken was, heads and... it was something like that <laughs> um, smoke coming out of their abdomens and stuff. yeah yeah it, it was sad it was really depressing yeah so there was like an initial yeah, like a introduction. You know, yeah, opening remarks. Yes, everyone was a mess. Yeah, and then you could kind of go around the room. And oh. there were adoption agencies there and social workers. And, and how many people were attending? Would you guess? Was it three hundred? It feels like three hundred, but yeah. it was probably 
30 okay. <laughs> or 40. Okay. You know, it seemed like a room, you know, an yeah. auditorium yeah. of dejected, yeah. infertile, sad An people. army of sad, infertile, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> In dour clothing. Right. But yeah, it was probably 30 to 50 okay. at the most. Um, and was there, so there was no sense of comfort of like, we're not no. alone. It was... Losers. It was like room full of losers. It's what Stephen said, and I was like, "He's right." Yeah, they probably all said that to their spouses. Yeah, as they went to the two. bathroom. What right. the hell? Oh my god, look at those two. <laughs> right. What did she just have cancer or something? What? <laughs> what's wrong with horrible. her? Um, Where's her thyroid? Yeah, what's wrong? With what's that wrong girl? with her neck? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was bleak. Yeah. So we, um, I was pushing for the foster to adopt because I thought okay, you know, kids need homes and, you know, this will be a win-win and um, this is a great idea, foster to adopt. So that's what we signed up for in the beginning. It's also faster technically, right? Like if you're looking for a newborn, you could be years before. Right. Yeah. So we signed up for a 30-hour training period to be foster parents in Los Angeles County. And I think hour 28, they had us do role-playing as if we were the adoptive parents and I had a fake baby. Oh, wow. And they had the DCFS, the person who was playing the social worker, come in and say, we're sorry, but this baby is going back to its mother. And I lost it. (gasps) And I thought, okay, if I'm losing it with the fake baby (laughs) in the role play, this this probably isn't the best thing for us. And then I didn't want to be rooting for someone's failure because I figured that that's what you're doing. Like you're waiting for a baby. So someone has to mess up. Right. Some birth mom has to do something terrible or something terrible has to happen to her. Why would I want to root for that to happen so that I can have a baby? Right. I just didn't. I couldn't do like it. Like a hedge fund or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. And Stephen was like, well, you know, we're, this is the last class, right? You know, <laughs> and then you're certified and then, you know, it had been years and years. Um, but I, yeah, I, I didn't think I could do it. Yeah. I needed a sure thing. Yeah. I was like, I need something that is not going to be temporary. Like this is going to be it. We're going to have the kid and that's And begin it. our new life. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened then after hour 28? Um, so hour 28, <laughs> so not doing it. I think I dragged Steve into an international adoption meeting or subgroup or something. Now, why did you think that might work versus the other version? They would be less likely to... I was very naive yeah. about a lot of things about international adoption. Yeah, it seemed like a sure thing to me because I thought that the parents would have been deceased, that they'd be orphans. They this wasn't someone else yeah. failed. And I'm not rooting for anyone to fail. This is, oh, my God, your parents died. So why don't you come live with us? We'll take care of you. Right. This was great to me. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) No one, you know, this is not selfish or, um, you know, because that's what it had been up to then very selfish like I wanted a baby I wanted that's not really selfish when you break it down I I understand what you're saying well I knew like in the foster adopt thing I would not be rooting for that poor mom who couldn't get her shit together like right so this sounded to me um more palatable somebody actually needs a home desperately (laughs) yeah Uh, Which is naive in in retrospect. It was naive because these are not children who don't have parents? Or what was naive about it? it? It's naive because a lot of children adopted internationally aren't necessarily double orphans where both parents have passed away. 
Okay. So in the beginning, I did not think about that. I thought that they were orphans. We decided that we wanted to adopt siblings because um, we assumed that they'd probably be a different race Mm because we were looking at international adoption. And um, we wanted them to have someone that looked like them in the house. And we wanted more than one kid. Mm -hmm. And we thought they'd always have each other. And that would be a good bond. And so we thought this was hugely important. So at the time, the options for to adopt siblings were Haiti, uh, Russia, and Ethiopia. And the, the woman was like, so our clients just got back from Haiti and they were held at gunpoint, but it's fine now. And I was like, you know, you know in my head, just crossing Haiti off the oh list. Like, yeah. Oh, God, no. I yeah. can't do gunpoint at this point. <laughs> right. I, I just, not right now. Yeah. Um, and then so it was between Russia and Ethiopia. And we were just drawn to Ethiopia. For any particular reason or? Um, no, I don't know why, really. It's just kind of something we it both thought. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. obviously, Ethiopia, um, <laughs> which seems so random now, but <laughs> doesn't it? Like, what? whoa, why would you? Anyway. And how quickly did you say Ethiopia? Right away? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, Had you ever been to Africa before? Had either of you no. ever? Okay. Had you no. ever wanted to go to Africa? Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely. So there was a little romance with Africa, I would yeah. say, more than Russia. And, you know, Ethiopia is pretty... in. A remarkable country because it's never been colonized and the the people are really warm and it the, just the, the Ethiopia is amazing. I mean, it's gotten a bad rap over the years in yeah. the media and um, it's a, it's a phenomenal, uh, strong country full of incredible, welcoming, beautiful people. Um, it, it's a pretty special place. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was two thousand seven. Okay. Yeah, and you checked a box. You know, Russia. Haiti. Yeah. Ethiopia. And yeah, and you sent it in and, you know, siblings. And they said, well, it'll be a and much where longer way to Minnesota. It? The, to Minnesota. Yeah. The, okay. The agency was in Minnesota. And then you wait. You wait for a referral. And they said, with siblings, it'll probably be a much longer wait. Yeah. So I think 2007, we sent in the application and we met our children 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, it's a while. Yeah. 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 Or is there stuff you can do in the meantime? to sort of um, further your cause. Do you have to stay on these people and make sure they're no, checking? No, no, you're just on a list. You're just on a list. Yeah. Okay. Where were you on the list? Do you find um, out? I don't know, but I'm really good friends with a woman who was one family above us on the list. Yeah. And I always think about how if we had sent our application in, you know, a day before, or if she had, then we would have her boys, whom I love and who have played with my kids and they see each other Wow. Um, over the years and they were in the orphanage together and truly how remarkable it is that just, you know, 24 hours or whatever could have, it, it's just That's very amazing. trippy when you, when you start to meet the people whom you were waiting with yeah. and, and know them and their children and your kids were all together in care in Ethiopia and then to see them grow up and, and still get to see them. And it's been something amazing. That is too. Wild. Yeah. 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 So, and by the way, you couldn't have done private adoption. Did you look into private adoption at oh, all or that was oh, not no. an option? So, yeah. Cause that's so I expensive. About that. Well, I also felt like, um, by then I was old. This was like 10 years later now from the time we started trying to have kids until we had kids was literally a decade. Wow. So I was older and I just thought, Oh God, if some 
potential birth mom saw our profile, they'd be like, no way. Mm. Who are these old people? How old were you? Were you that old? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think I was 40 when we started or, you know, late 30s when we started the process. Yeah. I just thought we'd be the most unattractive couple. Like yeah. Stephen was raised Jewish. I was raised Catholic. They were like, what are they atheists? And <laughs> you know, what, who's going to pick us, you know? Yeah. And, and then here in LA, you'd hear, I was looking into it a lot and you'd hear like, well, we put our birth mom up at the Oakwood apartments oh, yeah. in Malibu <laughs> and we just stock her fridge every Monday from Whole Foods and we have the top doctors and she gets massages on Friday. Like I can't even afford, you know, anything yeah. like that. I don't even shop at Whole Foods. No, of course right. not. You know, I, I couldn't compete. Yeah. I thought I cannot compete in this demographic in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. I was out of the running. Even just the, to protect yourself from the possibility of that. That was like, another part You've of already it. been sort of attacked by your body. You've been yeah. sort of rejected by your biology. That was part of it. <laughs> that was definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I was also afraid of, I didn't want an open adoption at that point. Yeah. Like, I don't want to now have a baby. It's 10 years later and share that baby with someone. I don't want to have an open adoption with Mm -hmm. someone. I want an orphan who doesn't have parents. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about selfish. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to have any parents. Only me. I'm the only parent. (laughs) Talk about selfish, right? But that's where I was. It was like I had been battered. I was done. Yeah. I guess you're right. It feels selfish. I'm not sure if I think it really is actually, but it feels selfish. It is selfish. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah. But my thoughts have changed. I've done a 360 on that. So, and we have an open adoption. That's right. Internationally. That's true. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two years. Was it really two years that passed? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what was the day? Was there a day when they called and they were like, we've got them? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, we knew we were getting close because I think they said you're you're next or you know. Oh, so they really this well, is a real list. Like yeah, you move yeah, up you're in the, the sibling, queue. Yeah, you're you're tenth on the sibling wow. list or you're fourth okay. on the sibling list and um, yeah, they called and you know they had um, we had some really lovely social workers at this agency in Minnesota and they called about a little girl and her baby brother. I was like, what? You know, I just started <laughs> crying and, you know, and I was like, what? And, and, she, yeah, yeah. and she told me that um, we had been through a lot and, and they were excited to make the call. I think it's a fun call as a social worker to yeah. make, probably. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all of our friends had been kind of waiting along with us. And like 30 people showed up here that day. Oh, my gosh. And started celebrating before Stephen got home. Oh. And Stephen, who's a very private person, had to come home from work and, like, walk into this house this full party. of people who were like, Because, ah! <laughs> you know, they had sent pictures over. And, oh, um, this was, like, very this real. This was a referral call. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember if I was on the phone when I opened up the pictures. There's a whole file. It was a huge wow. file. Yeah. Do you remember what day of the week it was? Um, or what else had happened that day? I went to the gym. Mm-hmm. I came home. And I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I had taken a shower and put something nice on to, I was like, wait, no one can see me. And, you know, but like, <laughs> but you know, in that moment you find out yeah. who your kids are going to be, but yeah. And then we just had this big celebration and we were really excited. And so what's the next step when that happens? From the time we met them, from the time we heard about them to the time we met them was March to August. You're waiting for them to pass court. That's where the the judge says, you know, they're available for adoption. And these are the people that, you know, we've selected to match them with. And who is judging this? Who's saying it's okay? Is there a jury? Is there? Uh, 
an Ethiopian okay. judge. Okay. Um, and then we had to do it here too. We had to readopt mm-hmm. them here. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we went so to Santa the- Monica. So the judge in Santa Monica is signing the decree and he says, with this pen, I make you a family. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> do you think you just made us a family? <laughs> After 10 years, like, <laughs> shut up. It was so arrogant. That is so and arrogant. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, whatever. You know, yeah. if this is how he finds joy okay <laughs> but it, at the time it just bugged me i'm like oh really with that pen yeah after all this after this is all what the it's work, gonna take you're the, the one with the, the pen, pen? Yeah. just because you signed it <laughs> kind of annoying <laughs> and of course he thinks you're gonna go oh our judge was so yeah. sweet yeah, yeah. thank you thank you're you like, thank you so much for making us a family yeah like you did anything you just met us four minutes ago <laughs> come on Oh my gosh. So aggravating. So, so from March to August, where were they living at this point? They were in a care center, an orphanage. Um, The the orphanage workers um, were truly lovely and um, warm. And my son, Melissa's nanny, on the day that, you know, she kind of had to hand him over, was sobbing uncontrollably. (laughs) She's so attached to him and loving with him. And she just couldn't. Ethiopian children are very much um revered and loved in ethiopia Mm -hmm. they're treated with the utmost kindness and at least from what i saw yeah in this particular place the the staff there you know just love them as if they were their own kids yeah yeah wow but wow. our, our son did have a, a patch on his, the back of his head that used to make me cry all the time. It was from rubbing back and forth, like self-soothing in his crib. Oh. So he had a big bald spot. Oh. Yeah. And he would do it, you know, later on and, you know, eventually stopped doing it and his hair grew in there. But that was always something that choked me up and made me sad. Yeah. But so, yeah, we went and it was pretty much like, I think it was 10 days. So we, we met them and they had... And um, where in Ethiopia were you? Addis Ababa. Okay. Um, and they have a, you know, a guest house for the parents and then the orphanage and they'd bring you over every day to try to help with the transition. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So how did you pack for that trip? Like what's going through your mind? What do you decide um, that you're it, bringing? It's bizarre because, you know, you're you're all of a sudden going from zero kids to two kids and one's a baby and um one's a you know three-year-old so it was um did they speak english well the baby's a baby but right, i mean no no she did not speak okay. any english what language did she speak amharic okay and kembatisa which is her uh village language so and did you speak any of those languages we or had any been bits? trying to, yeah. <laughs> to learn rudimentary amharic yeah um we we're not good at it. And, um, we knew a, a few phrases. Um, yeah. Packing for the trip, you know, they, they recommend things for you because, okay. you know, they, they're going to figure that these parents like us are clueless and, yeah. and we were. And then like, are you bringing baby clothes with you? Or oh, are yeah. you bringing yep. diapers and yep. okay. Mm-hmm. And like toys and yep. all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. Okay. And then, you know, uh, we visited some other orphanages while we were there. So we brought donations. Like we brought a, just a huge suitcase full of Crocs for this oh, other Like, so, y- yeah. you know, you can bring things in um, like that. And then um, we ended up bringing some empty suitcases because we wanted to buy some things for the kids there that they could have, like textiles and clothing. Mm, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, it, you have to really, I mean, it was, I don't know, six suitcases or... Wow. Yeah. Now, do you remember 
the moment you saw them for the first time? Did you see them oh, both yeah. at the same time for the first yeah. time? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty huge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you what know, were those and, emotions? Were they? I mean, I, I had seen pictures of them, obviously, but um, she, my daughter, was just so like smiley and um, animated. And, you know, she, she, I had a, this bracelet on my hand and she took it off and put it on her hand, which is something she does to this day. Like I always <laughs> warn my friends, like, don't let her try your rings on, you know, because she just like, just likes jewelry and puts it on and then just kind of runs Walks off. Away, like, right? um, is that my mother's engagement ring you have? <laughs> Can I have it back? Um, but yeah, that's the first thing that she did. And um, Melissa, again, was, was just kind of in shock. But yeah, it's pretty enormous. Do the, do you have any sense from the kids' perspective what that is like? Are they all sitting in there going, up? Oh, here comes another one? Or what's I the culture think, in there? Do um, you know? I know they were very young, so it might have been... Yeah, I mean, Mossy doesn't remember anything about it. You know, again, we have pictures. You know, she sat right in my lap and Stephen was holding Melissa. Um, I think that for the babies, at least for Melissa, it was just kind of shock like he didn't really know yeah he was in a room with maybe 10 or 12 babies and cribs and for the older kids I think it's very traumatic you know Mm -hmm. it's like oh here are your new parents you know or you know these people are taking you these white people are taking you from your country (laughs) and everything you know right so enjoy you know I think it was a um, wow were you in love? Were you terrified? Were you, um, was there any part of it disappointing I, I just, or not no. what you thought it would be? Oh my be? God. No. Okay. I was so happy. Um, and they're, they're just so cute, like, yeah. and huggable. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the initial meeting was ridiculously happy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. These are going to be our kids. I mean, you know, and, and then it got harder and, you know, as they started to realize what was happening and weren't so smiley and, and how long and, did that take? Um, a couple nights. Okay. Yeah, so you well, were still that, there when that change yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's traumatic. I mean, these kids went through a lot and they, um, I think when Mozzie started to realize what was going on, you know, she was scared and we had a social worker come and try to talk to her and it, it's terrifying. Can you imagine? I mean, that it's just like, who are these people? Yeah. Really? What do you mean? These are, where am I going? Like, yeah. I can't even imagine the amount of trauma involved in that in that week, mm-hmm. you know, but they hard. do have people there to kind of yeah they you know they had and... well and speak to them you know translate for us like right. this is, you know it's okay I, we had this one meeting with a social worker who talked to her and it, it was different after that like I don't know what she said to her or how she you know made her feel better but um, it's a lot of anxiety yeah. And, yeah, I'm really grateful they had each other because they really never left each other's side during all of that. Yeah, yeah. And where were you and Stephen on the same page emotionally? Were you both excited? Um, were... Yes. Okay. However, uh, Mozzie was warmer to me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think she was afraid of Stephen a little bit. I don't know if it's a man thing or, or what it was, but I mean, now they, they're, you know, two peas in a pod. Right. But initially, I think she didn't warm up to him as quickly as she did to me, which yeah. I think was hard for him. Probably because, if I remember correctly, their mother had passed away, right? Yeah. So she had a father. Yeah. But she didn't have a mother. It was part of it, too. So it might have been, you're filling the void, but she didn't need another father. She had a father that she was being, she wasn't being taken from her father. She was already living in the care facility, but he he was unable to care for them. So he had Yeah, that might have been part of it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And now how long is the flight from Ethiopia back? Um, It was 16 hours. Nonstop. 
Well, so no, you fly from Addis Ababa to Dubai and then Dubai to LA. So actually, I think it's 20 total. I can't remember if that's... Yeah, the first leg is four hours, and then I think the final leg is 16. And how was that coming um, home? That oh, can't even... my God. So <laughs> it, it... <laughs> I can't even imagine. It was crazy because she had never been on a plane, obviously. Um, she was excited but nervous. And I remember she sat down on the plane next to this missionary, this white blonde woman from, you know, the Midwest. And was like, what are you doing? I'm talking to her in Amharic, just incessantly, like playing with her trade table and just like <laughs> touching, like just talking to her as if they were the best friends in the world going on a girl's trip or something. Uh-huh. And this woman was very, you know, kind, but talking to her so much that I said, you know, just let her have a minute, you know, on the flight. <laughs> I don't think she slept. I think that was the thing. Like she hadn't ever seen TV either or oh, hadn't right. seen a, a monitor on a, yeah. you know, so she, or that you could touch with, you know, and she was watching movies and, you know, had the headphones and I think it was just too fascinating. And, yeah. Um, I don't think she slept the entire time. Wow. Which is not great. Did but... you guys sleep at all? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> and then, so what, like, what was the first night like that you guys were all here? Do you uh, remember I think that? we got up at two because we had jet lag and yeah. I actually have a video of their first, we, we had breakfast or we had, I forget what we had, toast or something in the middle of the night. Yeah. It, I mean, it was fun. They, they ate, she ate tons of, um, eggs and bananas like for days I felt like she was just so low on potassium or something mm. you know and protein that <laughs> this is just like you know because I um, think you've told me that she was very small when you yeah met her so yeah. she was three yeah but you thought she what size was she birth certificate said so she was two now how did you know she was three did they admit it um, to you at so, some point no we or? took her to a doctor and basically they they said were like she's this child turn four. Not, yeah okay teeth and yeah so yeah, they did a lot of eating in the first <laughs> few weeks. Um, was she in, in daycare right away or you guys were 100% at home? or Right. So our plan was to be at home with them for a long time, figure out who they were and get them, you know, settled. And, you know, they experienced a lot of trauma. So we thought, well, we'll just hole up and we'll be a family and we'll be together and we won't do much. Mm-hmm. But she knew one English word and it was school. And she asked us daily, school, school. She wanted to go to school. Wow. School. So I didn't, I hadn't planned any school, but she was relentless. School, school, school. So I walked two blocks down to our local public school um, and asked if they had a pre-K. And they did. They had a pre-K. It was four hours a day, four days a week. But you have to be four. And I had a two-year-old birth certificate. And so they said, yeah, you can't bring her in. So I brought her into the principal's office. I'm like, this is my daughter, Mazi. And she started speaking to him in Amharic, like a scientist or yeah. something. And he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, she can start pre-K. <laughs> Without the birth certificate, he just signed her in. Wow. So she speaks Amharic and mm-hmm. barely any English. And she starts preschool. Yes. Pre-K. And we had an extraordinary woman and her assistant uh pre preschool teacher whom we are still friends with um to this day who I call her first responder who made um a vocabulary chart with the Amharic word and the English word to help her learn English and she said that Mozzie was um the, she'd never seen a kid pick up language like Mozzie and in six weeks Mozzie was speaking English because of wow. this woman, I think, and because, well, Mozzie is a little extraordinary. Yeah. But um, six weeks. Wow. Yeah. And how did things in your house change once she was fluent in English? It, it got better. It yeah. Was, so yeah. I, I always tell people who um, have adopted 
that you can't judge anything in your family until six months have passed. Mm. Like the first six months were ridiculous. Like they didn't know us and they didn't want to be here. And, and, but you know, they had moments of, like it, it's just, it's chaotic. Yeah. And, um, you're trying to figure out what kind of parents you are. And all of a sudden you're disagreeing on something you'd figured beforehand. You'd certainly be on the same page with that. Right. You know, it, it's just a complete, um, mishmash and you're just completely chaotic all the time all the time chaos yeah. and you um, had dogs too we had so? dogs we were co-sleeping <laughs> um it was rough yeah and Stephen and i were not meshing and 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 she was going to me and not him and it oh. was not good i was like oh my god yeah this is never gonna work what and were where, we was, where was your, you had support from the community at that point or was there were there people yeah. you said this is happening am i losing my mind is this gonna work am i yeah but it still seemed much worse to me than i thought it would be mm -hmm. so six months so did you feel like you could reach out to people for support or did you did you not want anyone to know how chaotic it was i was writing a lot on my blog and getting a lot of people saying this is normal and this oh, is an adjustment wow. period. So that's a place where you found support. Oh yeah. Oh, there was that's a whole amazing. community. You know, communication is key, right? Especially if a kid doesn't know what's happened or, or knows, but wants to talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you talk about something that you, you, how do you talk about it? How do you, how did you um, begin to talk about it? This was huge. The, the adoption agency had a, a video of their story. It you know, oh. showed their family, um, their house and what happened. It was a timeline of their life. And then they end the video with footage of us meeting them. So they had this visual guide to go to, and they asked for it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, they'd say, oh, I want to I wanna watch the video again, or I think that helped. Yeah. And then you and Steven kind of had to rebuild your communication as well while that was going on, right? Yeah. I mean, it was... Which um, any parents might have to. Well, there was a lot going on. I mean, I think... It, it would have been easier if it had been one kid, but mm -hmm. it was two children with completely different needs, you know, an infant and a, a toddler. So it was, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And then he was working too. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Because right. um, you can't just afford to take off work either. It's like, no. you got to keep going. Yeah. So yeah. it's working and um, yeah. And there's no handbook, you know, there's no handbook. Any parent is going to get saying when this particular situation comes up, you know, Julie says this and Stephen agrees this. And, you know, I think that even today it's, it's, we have this thing in our family now where it's, um, with the kids will ask something and a no and a yes is a no. It's gotta be a yes and a yes. Oh, that's smart. That's brilliant. I don't know if it's brilliant. It might just be. I'm, um, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try know. it. I'll let you know. I wish we'd tried it at six months. I'll be your first, your second case study. We'll see how <laughs> it goes. Okay. We'll start a revolution. Yeah. A no and a yes is a no <laughs> by Sam and Julie. Did you get two yeses? No, I didn't. It's a no. It's a no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so so what's so amazing too about your story is so they are from another country mm -hmm. and they are visually of mm -hmm. another race. Yeah. You are white and your kids are black. So you're sort of coming to that on two fronts you know a transracial adoption is one thing if everyone's mm -hmm. american and then it's another thing if also they are ethiopian so you know if they were russian they <laughs> would be russian right but they would look white yeah probably so it, you know it's it's half of of that conversation you or know, is it, it? I, it's a huge part of the conversation and a huge part of also how we were naive um because in the beginning i think it was a lot of 
well, it's not going to matter too much, you know, that they're black because we're going to love them. And, you know, this is liberal L.A. and all kinds of families. And, you know, they're not going to have they're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And it has been eye opening in the most disturbing way. Mm. Um, How so? I had no idea. I mean, I had some idea how different of an experience it is living in America as a white person and a black person. I had a, a rudimentary knowledge, and it is so much worse than I ever imagined the racism and the microaggressions and the... Um, it is so much worse than I ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing things happen to my kids, you know, when they're adorable, beautiful children. They're not even like scary looking adults yet. And already... <laughs> The things that they're facing, um, I was unprepared for. Well, yeah. would you remember the first time something happened or, um, or one of the significant ones that well, you didn't expect? Well, you know, my kids were refused service at a farmer's market in Wisconsin. Literally refused yes. service? Meaning they were standing there holding apples and nobody would they take their money? They wanted to buy or... honey sticks and the man refused to take their money. Under any, um, per Did he have any excuse or he just... It was clear why he yeah. was refusing their money. Yeah. It was... What did he say? Hor he didn't say anything. He just ignored them. Yes. But also looked at them. Look, acknowledged them and chose to ignore that them. that he was going to not let them purchase something. That is amazing. And, you know... I now have a tendency to go, oh, that, you know, that was such a racist. You know, the kid's like, oh, mom, you can see. Right? But this was so clear. My mom saw too. And, and other things have happened similarly. Um, and they had the money in their hands. Yeah. I'm just painting the whole scene here. Yeah. No, no. It, it, it's just one of, of several things that have yeah. happened. And when you guys are together, do you still get looks and stuff? Or um, not, not as much as we did in the first few years, yeah. there was a lot of, oh, are they brother and sister or, oh, or, you know, there's a lot of that early on. Um, not so much anymore. Yeah. I don't know if we're just, everyone can tell, like, please just, don't mess with us. Like, Clearly we, we got we, we, we stuff going on here. We don't want to talk to you about it, right? <laughs> okay. We don't want to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about it is um, not only are they black in America, but they're African, right? So... They have, if I were my kids, I'd be having a major identity crisis. Mm -hmm. They're from Africa. They're black. They're, they've got uh, white parents. You know, Mozzie makes a funny joke now. You know, I'll do something or say something. And she'll just kind of roll her eyes and say, oh, raised by white people. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> raised by white people. So, you know, there have been things yeah. that come up where I think, oh, are they in the right school? Or are they in the right thing? And, you know, I'm going to move them to this school because there are more black kids. And then I hear from my black friends that the African black kids are also excluded from the black group. Like, so that oh there's gosh. so many layers of yeah. race and racism. You know, I still am just scratching the surface of uh, white privilege and how different an experience a white person is having in their life than a black person. Um, so a lot of the parents I know who aren't, I, I'm kind of in a unique position because I see what happens to my black kids and I can commiserate with the black moms about what's happening with their kids, mm -hmm. but I'm white. So people listen to me when I bring it up, Yeah, which is horrifying that it, you know, anyway, I, I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt to 
white people who just don't know because I didn't know how bad it was. But when I tell them, look, it's this bad and this is happening here in your community, they're like, oh, no, no, this is just middle school or this is just the way kids are. It's a completely different thing that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about cliques. I'm talking about racism. Right. So it's hard for people to hear and, and hard for people to know what to do necessarily, but it's prevalent and deep. And does it, how does it affect the kids? Do they, do they have a chip on their shoulder? Um, do they laugh it off? Do they, all of the above? They Are they afraid to say certain things? Do they check their own language or their own something or? I, I don't know. I think that my kids are pretty solid. Yeah. Like they know that racism exists. They know that, yeah, that was really racist or, but they don't care i mean they care but they don't they don't let they're it be not irate like i yeah. feel irate you know? yeah yeah and it's it's good their, their manner is probably um serving them better than my current state of anxiety about how to fix it yeah and then what's as far as being ethiopian mm-hmm. are they in touch with their because they have siblings back there. they do and a birth dad and they are in touch and we do exchange pictures and videos and letters and when did you first get back in touch with them or right we, away or uh met their birth dad the adoption trip oh you did yeah and how was that conversation heavy it's pretty heavy yeah what were, yeah. could you tell what his emotions were about the whole thing? Was he happy they were coming with you? Was he um, sad they were leaving the country or maybe all of the above? He seemed happy, but I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. He always seems happy in videos and, and when we see him and he, he, he does praise God a lot when he sees them and, you know, he's so happy to see them and yeah. Yeah. Do they ever ask about their birth mother? No, no. We were lucky enough to get a picture of a picture of their birth mother, which oh. we hadn't had any picture of her or image yeah. or much description of her. Um, so we, we had gotten that a few years in and, and that was a huge thing to have her picture. And um, she looks so much like my daughter. It's, it's wow. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And for international adoptions in general, is there an overriding, like a recommendation for how much of their culture you want to expose them to? Do you want to constantly be talking about Ethiopia or do you just make sure you occasionally make some Ethiopian food or, you know, how how much awareness do you offer them and from um, wherever they're from? I mean, if yeah. someone is adopting from Cambodia, you know, how how much of their life do you want to devote to their original ethnicity and their culture. It's funny because I think it's extremely important that my kids, you know, know they're Ethiopian and feel proud and, and they do. And I think prospective adoptive parents can kind of lay that groundwork by doing a lot in the beginning, you know, as much as they can. And ideally, it would be traveling annually to mm-hmm. the, you know, their, yeah. their birth country. But that that's kind of prohibitive in, in many ways. Cost and also, like you said, may not be the best decision because if the kids aren't ready. Right. And, and also, I think it completely depends on the kid. You know, we have friends who have kids from Ethiopia who never want to go to Ethiopian lunch or culture mm. camp because of their experience, whatever it was. It's different than my kid's experience where they um, have good feelings about where they came from and, and what they experienced. And there are other kids who have different stories and maybe some things that they don't want to remember and they don't want to celebrate. Um, so I think it's really uh, very dependent on the kid. Um, I, I think that they should all have a basic baseline. Yeah. yeah, I'm Ethiopian, and this is what Ethiopia is about, and and 
this is why it's amazing and and this is what we're known for and this is what happens on this holiday and I, I think they all need that like 101 and then um, you kind of have to take your kids lead on how much you want to do and, and you know we still push a couple of things like we'll sing the you know birthday song in Amharic after we sing it in English mm. especially with Mozzie and and you know there's some years where it's an eye roll from her and some years where she's singing along and it means something to her yeah and, and I mean they're not going to feel Ethiopian because we cook Ethiopian food right <laughs> you know that has nothing to do with it I mean they're really American at this they're not yeah you know I mean yes they are Ethiopian of descent but right they've spent almost their whole lives here so yeah yeah would you be interested in reading any of your blog entries or would Out you loud? not want to do that <laughs> Okay. But if you don't want to do it, that's totally fine. But no, I, I, I can... was thinking the the day you got the call, you said you, you oh. wrote an entry that day. Okay. I would love that if you felt like it. All right. I'll, I'll pull it up. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the day that I got the call, I just posted an E.E. E. Cummings poem. Ooh. But then let's see. I think I wrote about it the next day. The day everything changed. Part one, a phone call. How do you describe the day your life changed? How do you explain how you are no longer the person you once were? How is it that one event, one phone call can completely change the way you feel about the world? I hadn't been thinking about the adoption. To tell you the truth, I had given up. Several times in the weeks prior to this fateful day, I found myself among these fabulous women I have met during this adoption process. I looked at them and thought, I hope that they will continue to be my friend, even though I won't have kids. (laughs) I thought that surely we would still be friends. I could babysit and be Auntie Julie to their remarkable kiddos. In all areas of my life, I was trying to get my head around the fact that we would not be parents. We had already set a record for waiting time at our agency. I thought about the big picture and realized that I would not die if it didn't work out. I thought about Stephen and our life together. I felt clarity in knowing that life would go on. I felt grateful for love, health, family, and friends. I gave up on the children part. I let go of it. The next day, the phone rang. I picked up the call, and it was Jan, my current social worker. Then something remarkable happened. They told us about our future. It was an intense phone call. I thought that I had done a good job preparing myself to hear the information. I had had plenty of time to think about it. I thought that I'd be ready. I thought I knew what it would feel like. I was wrong. I have never felt so much sadness and so much joy in such a short period of time. These children, these remarkable children, their lives, their story, I had no idea. I had no idea what it would mean. Wow. How did it feel to read that? You know, or were you just focusing on your writing? <laughs> yeah, it just seems hackneyed and like cloying. cloying. <laughs> but anyway, at the only time... a writer uses the word cloying. I'm going to look <laughs> that up later. Time. Yeah. No, I remember the day. Old, it was all such our own worst uh, critic. It was such an amazing day. Yeah. And really the way that our friends showed up here was they were just waiting with us. You know, it had been a long time coming and then to feel that and like people brought cake and like it was a big day yeah yeah that's very exciting i mean it was yeah. a, a 10 years of trying to have a family yeah. and then these two pictures like oh my god yeah this, i'm actually this is actually gonna happen yeah thank you so much for yeah. talking with me is there any last words you'd want to share anything you'd want to any advice you'd want to give people either considering international adoption considering an interracial adoption or struggling with ivf in general or any other anecdotes you want to share i feel like i wasted a long time with the infertility mm-hmm. treatments i mean i, I regret 
in many ways doing IVF. Oh, wow. I know it's IVF podcast. I'm sorry. Oh, please but, don't worry. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you guys. No, just, but I, I it's feel not like pro IVF podcast. <laughs> it's called IVF U, oh, okay. if you remember. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I would have skipped all of it. Wow. Had I known. Yeah. I would have skipped all of the infertility treatments. I would have gone straight to adoption. I mean, it was financially not the right thing to do physically not the right thing to do and emotionally not the right thing to do absolutely yeah. and and like i said there are things that i've i'm learning as i go the transracial adoption is not the easiest it's hard when it's your kid who's facing something that you haven't ever had to face a yeah. negative a negative thing you know so you have to be prepared if you want to do something like we did you really have to talk to your black friends and really get down deep into what your kids are going to face yeah as children, as teenagers, as adults. Yeah, it's it's heavy. You become an advocate very quickly. I'm, I'm you have assuming. to. Yeah. Do you want to talk about this blog or you don't want people knowing about it? Well, I guess you could find it for my writer's page on Facebook because that's where it's linked. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they'll it's find Julie it Julie Corby. Julie Facebook. Corby. Facebook slash Julie Corby. I don't even know. Julie okay. Corby, Los Angeles, Facebook. You're I don't not know. very I mean, good at many... promoting Sorry. yourself. My Who God. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Julie, thank for talking you. to me. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank All right. Thanks for joining me for episode five of IVFU. Come back to us episode six, where you'll go all the way back to the 80s and meet Lolly and Marvin, who managed to become parents even without the internet. I have a feeling that things have maybe improved, but back at that time, uh, I had the feeling that we were guinea pigs in a big experiment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton, and we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love, by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUPodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson, with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment was recorded at Open Space in Los Angeles, California. If listening to these stories helped you and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making season two a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and paypal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because remember, it's all about being a family. And I'm a freaking